0: Obviously, people are watching late night right now to get their fix of the day's chaos. So yeah, I, I think it from when I started, it's as good a time as ever to get into late night.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Entertain Your Future, a podcast exposing you to various career trajectories in entertainment and media through interviews with industry professionals. Have you ever thought about directing and producing? What about working for Variety TV or late-night comedy? On this episode of Entertain Your Future, I sit down with Emmy-nominated comedy producer and DGA member Jake Plunkett, producer and segment director at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. During this interview, we navigate through his experience with formal education and his media career in television for media properties such as Viacom, NBC Entertainment... A&E Networks, Hulu, and CBS, among others. He will discuss his current role and expertise, the late-night comedy landscape, and his experience beginning his professional career just before the 2008 recession. Today, Jake Plunkett joins us from New York. Thank you for joining us.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: Let's just get started and get right into it. Tell us what you do and what your role is.
0: I am a producer and segment director for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert.
1: And what is a day in the life like?
0: Uh, It depends. It depends on the news. It depends on what I'm working on. So I generally handle the pre-taped roll-ins for The Late Show, so... I kind of work parallel to the show. I will get a, a script and uh, kind of break it down and shoot it uh, and edit it all while the show is going on so that they can have a really amazing, you know, five to ten minute roll in to roll in to give Stephen a break once in a blue. So I do the things like the kids pitch the segments with my mom, uh, like Melania Christmas special with me. We, I do a bunch of those types of segments.
1: Right. So all the field pieces that aren't done on set with Steven, I mean, they can be done with Steven, but they're not done on set typically.
0: That's right. Yeah. We, uh, we're the people that, uh, that you don't see that are out in the field shooting stuff to roll in.
1: So are some of your projects, um, could they be like scheduled weeks in advance and others maybe like super last minute, depending on what's going on?
0: Uh, For sure. So there's actually an example that that happened recently. So I just did a segment uh, about a toy fair that was shot with a new correspondent that we literally were like two days before the toy fair uh, said to each other. Why don't we just try this out? So it was very last minute. We just whipped together creative. I went out, shot and just kind of found the funny at the Javits Center. And parallel to that, we are also planning a huge international trip a la the Russia trip that we did two years ago. And so that's been that's been planned since I would say early October. So it's a little bit of both worlds.
1: Wow, that's super exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, Russia itself was so fun and so exciting, and like weirdly dangerous that I'm excited to get back and do something like that again.
1: Well, I guess that kind of brings me to a good segue. What is the best part about your job?
0: I, okay, so the best part of my job is um, rolling in the pieces to the audience. That's the payoff. You, I think all of us are a little bit addicted to laughter. So, you know, staying up 24 hours straight to film something, I mean, that sometimes can be pretty taxing, but if the audience reacts in a big way, then it's all pretty worth it. I love doing scripted segments. I love building these, you know, fantastical sets that, are just kind of coming from mine and my production designer's head. We did a, a segment recently uh, where kids wrote a Christmas film, and just getting the design in North Pole and figuring out how Brian Cranston can play both good Santa and bad Santa was such a, a fun trip. That you know, that those are when you really realize that you know, oh, this is this is fun. I am pretty lucky.
1: Yeah. And the, the payback, the, the reward is kind of instantaneous in that respect. If you're producing shows every day, week, you know, the whole week, if you're getting those reactions every night, day, that's got to be super gratifying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely why, you know, people like Steven do it is, you know, it's so taxing for 10 hours of the day, but then the audience laughs and you're like, oh, this is good. I like this. And then you keep coming back for more.
1: Yeah. It's addicting. I'm sure. Oh my God. I'm sure it is. Can you tell us something challenging that maybe people might not know, um, about the life that you, you know, the lifestyle and like the work schedule that you have in your job. I mean, you did mention sleepless nights and like last minute pulling together things last minute, but are there any other things that people might not know about this career?
0: Yeah, you know, I think the number one thing that's challenging about this is that there is no formula to what is funny. We're always in search of finding a laugh. I've definitely shot scripts that I thought were really funny that in the edit just turns out to be weirdly, you know, devoid of comedy. What I find funny is not exactly what you will find funny. What someone in New York City finds funny is not what someone in Idaho will find funny. So... The most challenging aspect for me is trying to thread the needle so that, you know, people laugh. Because again, if they don't, then the payoff isn't there. And then you did stay up 24 hours straight to roll in a piece that the audience was like, this sucked.
1: That's a challenge, especially with the nature of what you guys talk about almost every single night, which is politics and politics being different or people having different political views across the country.
0: Yeah, and then you bring up a good point with the politics thing is that the country itself right now is kind of in a dark period. So the other challenging aspect of, of our job is having to mine darkness for laughs every day. I know our therapy bills collectively have all gone up pretty substantially since 2016 because you're just always staring down the barrel of you know Donald Trump's America.
1: Whatever way you lean, you can't deny that there is a lot, uh, a lot of material to be written about the current political state of our country.
0: Yeah, it's pretty divided.
1: Can you tell us about your experience with college and a formal education?
0: Yeah, so I went to William Patterson University uh, in Wayne, New Jersey. I had known pretty early on in my life that comedy was kind of my bag. Uh, I grew up idolizing Saturday Night Live, and that was always kind of the goal, was to figure out a way to get to that show. Uh, You know, I did school plays in high school, got some laughs in there. And again, once you taste the drug, you kind of get addicted to it. So I wanted to keep doing it. William Patterson University had its own television station that was also played throughout the community. It was like a community access channel. Um, On top of that, they offered me a, a full ride, which... I was very interested in. I didn't want to pay a ton of money in student loans, so once I got the full scholarship, I was like, well, it's got a TV station and it's got a full scholarship, so we can make the best of this, and uh I did. I lucked out pretty well. And honestly, all of my best friends in the world come from college, so and they all work in the industry in some form or the other. So, um I did, I really did luck out. I I went to a good program. I ran the program for I guess two years as their president and I did three years in their communications department before I dropped out to go work for MTV so I am still without bachelor's degree hoping someday to go finish that bad boy oh really someday I mean I know it's kind of like a piece of paper at this point but it's a piece of paper that I want I did the three might as well do the four and uh and have something cool to hang on my wall I really, I just got a lot of very valuable experience there. I go back and speak at my college once a year. I really appreciate it. Even as a dropout, they will have me back. Uh, and I appreciate that. So
1: it means something to you to continue to provide leadership and mentorship and, you know, inspiration to people that are kind of coming up in your same footsteps.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been rewarding to go back and talk to some of these kids because you could see the fire and the hunger that I had at that age.
1: How did you get the offer from MTV which for those of us listening is a company under Viacom?
0: Yeah, it's a channel that used to be very popular and now has died a fiery death. I I um Believe me, I was there when it happened. It it was a slow, long process that we have never recovered, or they have never recovered from now. I was an intern at MTV, which took me forever to find an internship. It was not easy. MTV finally hired me as an intern, I think, in September of 2007. And I made it kind of my mission to be the intern that they remembered. So I stayed the latest. I got there the earliest. I did a lot of oddball jobs and through my school I knew how to shoot and to edit a little bit so I did a little bit of that and then I guess in you know a form of good luck one of the assistants there got let go and they were in dire need of a temp and uh, this wonderful man uh, named Peter Trippett recommended me to be the temp and so I did it and the woman I worked for Liz Gately who was the head of MTV at the time or MTV development took a liking to me and then just was like hey I want to keep you around uh, would you be my second assistant and so I did that for a while and the rest is history I I mean I got so so lucky to drop out at the time that I did because I would have graduated in June 2008. And by September of 2008, the entire world collapsed. So I I got very lucky with MTV.
1: Did you have the support of your faculty or did you have the support of your family? Did you have the means to live in New York and pursue that career?
0: Oh boy. Um, well, I don't think the faculty was super happy that I dropped out because I think they always want you to stay and finish your degree. But my dad way back when I was looking for colleges had always said to me, you're going to college to find a job. So just always remember that once you get the job, that's the end game. So when MTV offered me a job, my dad was very much uh, of the mind that, hey, this is what you went to school for. You don't turn this down. And so he, he ended up being right. So I lived in Patterson, New Jersey for the first six months of my professional career. And then I moved once the market collapsed. The rents in New York City went down substantially and I ended up moving into this. I mean, I can't believe I lived in this place. It was a like a luxury apartment building in, on 45th and 8th in Manhattan. It was insane. It's an apartment that now with my producer salary, I could not afford. Uh, but that is how much the market collapsed in 2008. And I literally had to pay three weeks of my paychecks in order to live there. So I, there were many weeks where I did not eat lunch. And would have to occasionally skip dinner in order to, to afford living in this place. But that place allowed me to stay at MTV until 1, 2 in the morning and still function as a human being the next morning. So it was a strategic move to move really close to the Viacom building so that I could be the one to work latest. Because they were firing everybody at that point. And I just wanted to make myself valuable enough to stick around and uh, wait out that I mean, that was just such a disaster, that whole 2008 collapse.
1: It's really interesting to chat with you about like how you navigated that year specifically because with career as it graduating and going into a field, it's like important to know kind of what's going on in like the supply and demand of your, of your field. Cause if, and like where, what cities are affordable, you know?
0: It is back to being a very difficult job market, as stands right now in New York City. Went through a late-night bubble uh, with Trump, and that has burst a little bit. There's been a little bit of a contraction in late-night shows. Digital comedy has kind of collapsed on itself a little bit. A lot of these wonderful digital companies that were specializing in comedy have all folded up shop. And uh, we lost one of the major networks in terms of development in New York City with IFC shuttering up. So we're back to not quite 2008 levels because not every company is hemorrhaging, but it is a thin, tight job market. And I know a lot of very good producers, including my wife, who um, is struggling to find work at this point. Not to scare you. It'll be fine.
1: No, it's just it's just the real deal. That's just really what's going on. But that's all temporary. What several companies did you go on to work for after Viacom?
0: Good question. Let me see if I can remember all of my companies. So I did I did MTV for about 4 years, 5 years, and then I went on to go work for Fox Sports 1 when they launched. And I did a ill-fated Comedy sports show with Regis Philbin and Katie Nolan. Did that for about six months and then went to go back to MTV to go work at MTV2. And then from there, got a, a call from Saturday Night Live that they wanted me to come work there. And so I did about two seasons there and then was about to get married and didn't want to continue working that schedule because I thought it would affect my marriage in a bad way. And so I went to go work. I did a very short pit stop at Fusion. And then went to uh, the nightly show with Larry Wilmore over at Comedy Central. Did that for about six months before that show started failing. And then uh, went to go work at Lifetime to go launch a digital comedy studio for them. Did that for about three months. Got it up on its feet. And then I went to go work for Hulu doing Triumph so Comic Dog's Summer Election Special. So we ran the conventions, the RNC and DNC, with, with the puppet dog. And then from there, the late show Stephen Colbert called and... I got there and, and basically settled down and there for at least the entirety of this presidency, if not more, depending on how the Mueller report turns out.
1: Well, so let's back up for a second. When you got the phone call from Saturday Night Live, you mentioned yeah. that yeah. that was something that was sort of a dream.
0: That's right. Yeah, it was. That was the the goal, right? was to get to Saturday Night Live and I had attained that goal and, um, I can't say one bad thing about my time there. It taught me everything that I am as a producer today is because of Saturday Night Live. You do things in such a quick and almost nightmarish pace that any other place I've worked for since, it just feels slow. It feels like the pace is slow. So it's going to be very hard at this point to spook me in terms of timeline. We would get scripts on Wednesday night and we would have to have it on the air by Saturday. And these are giant music videos or, you know, African villages that are getting built um, in a parking lot in Brooklyn. It was just it, it was always substantially difficult. So back to our first conversation, what is the hardest thing about being a field producer? It's that every script is its own puzzle it's not a uniform studio show. So I, one week would get, you know, an African village that needs to be built in Brooklyn. And then the second, I would have, second week I would have to build an airplane set and on a soundstage in Brooklyn. That's just completely different in terms of how you, how you would attain and accomplish both of those, so.
1: Sure, sure. And the nature of it, you being just a totally different timeline in the, in, you know, every week, week to week, it's probably a lot different.
0: That's right. You're listening to the Entertain Your Future podcast, and we'll be right back after this break.
1: This podcast is funded in part by Drexel University's Entertainment and Arts Management Program. Are you or someone you know looking for a college major where you can learn about the business of entertainment? Whether you're hoping to work in the performing, media, or visual arts, The Entertainment and Arts Management program at Drexel University in Philadelphia prepares students for careers spanning the commercial entertainment business and the nonprofit cultural sector. Through a combination of hands-on experiential learning in both Drexel's world-renowned co-op program and classes taught by practicing professionals, Drexel's Entertainment and Arts Management program will teach you to manage your own artistic career or to manage the creative process in this $2 trillion global industry. For more information, visit tinyurl.com forward slash E-A-M Drexel, call 1-800-2-DREXEL, or send an email to enroll at drexel.edu and ask about the Entertainment and Arts Management Program.
0: And now we're back with more Entertain Your Future.
1: What didn't you learn looking back that you wish you had when you were In the midst of your formal education.
0: Right. So I've kind of stumbled upon becoming a director. It was not always my goal. But now that I am a director, I feel like it's the best fit for me. And with that, there are things that I wish I kind of learned in college to help me be a better director. And the number one thing is lighting. I didn't stay the final year for when they taught you, you know, lighting, how to light a scene. And really, outside of audio, there's nothing more important to a scene than lighting. And you could even argue sometimes that lighting is just as important. And so it's something that in my, wow, 10 years now in the industry, I keep trying to learn and constantly kind of shadowing our lighting designers everywhere. I work just to kind of see how they work and why something is lit flat as opposed to being kind of seeped in shadows and so on and so forth. You know, I didn't go to film school, so there are things that I don't know that I think other directors do that they haven't one up on me on. So.
1: But, you know, I guess that could be said for the other way around with your communications background. Not everyone has every skill, but I think it's good to note what could be important.
0: That's right. Yeah. I'll buy that. I'll buy that for a dollar.
1: <laughs> and then what skills or resources were important for you to have at the beginning of your journey?
0: Well, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the reason I stuck at MTV during the the whole market collapse thing was because I had versatility in my skill set. I was able to edit, I was able to shoot, you know, anything that they had thrown at me, I was able to kind of figure out and do. You know, even as a field producer, they liked the idea that, you know, I could take a camera out still and go shoot something quickly by myself. So I have a specialization. I am someone who works best in the field, but I also have a lot of versatility within that specialization. I can shoot, I can edit. I hopefully one day we'll be able to light a scene better. This hyphenation of resumes is actually pretty important now. People hiring don't want to just hear that you could do one thing. They want to hear that you could do a bunch of things and then one thing really well.
1: When you started at Cold Bear, you started on in 2016. But right. with other you know, late night shows that you've done, variety television that you've done. What is new and different about late night comedy now than when you started? And I know we did briefly talk about the political climate in the country and in the world. What's different now about it?
0: I think there's definitely been a push to have a diversification in voices. We're not just seeing, you know, a bunch of uh, white dudes anymore. I mean, we still have that problem. There's still, you know, a predominance of, of that, but.
1: Like two Jimmies, for example, on different coasts or.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look at the heart of it. There's still a lot of white dudes hosting these shows, but you're seeing kind of a rise of, of different voices. Um, You know, Robin Thede had her show on BET. It was very, very good. Um, Larry Wilmore tried his out. At Comedy Central, it was nice to have that voice. Um, Sam B. is doing amazing things on TBS.
1: Trevor Noah is killing it.
0: Trevor Noah is a great example. Yeah, Trevor Noah is both someone... uh, This is the reason why I love John Oliver. I love the foreigner aspect of, you know, having a foreigner's point of view on the absurdity of American politics, I think, is incredibly valuable. It's, I think, sometimes living in our own bubble and... You know, Americans have a tendency to to really think that America is awesome. Uh, to have a, a foreigner come and go, you guys are being a little dopey is is wonderful to me. And it's the same in the writers' rooms. I mean, you get you're getting these new voices coming in who just have a different view of America, have a different view of democracy, and that's important especially now, especially in the age of Trump, you want to hear from everybody because, you know, there are people getting really affected by this stuff. And if we're going to mind the darkness, you need to get a full scope of it in order to get the best comedy. I mean, I fully believe that if we are not getting everyone's point of view, then, you know, we're not doing our job.
1: At Colbert specifically, do you think over the years, the last couple of years, has there been more diverse representation in terms of women and people of color and not only behind the camera and in the writer's room, but also with your guests that, you bring, that you're bringing in? Or,
0: I cannot speak to the guests at all because there are months that I go without knowing who was on the show. It's just not my world. But I would say in the writer's room and through talent representation in terms of who I work with, I'd say that's the case, yeah. I think there's been a good push to make it so that it's not just one voice.
1: What about behind the camera in terms of like, you know, your standard G and E, audio department, all that?
0: It's a good question. I haven't really pondered it, but I think so. I use a lot of the same people that I've used for years. So I guess it could be put upon me to try to try new people, but I am to a fault a creature of habit. So if I don't have my same DP and my same audio guy i feel panicked uh but yeah you're probably right i could probably try new voices behind there
1: so when you go out into the field and are producing these field segments are you in charge of hiring that crew and it doesn't have to be cbs people or uh is it typically like cbs you know uh people that are coming with you
0: no it's not cbs people at all it is um It is my Rolodex that gets tested whenever we go out. We have to work within unions, obviously. So I have to, you know, if I'm doing uh, G&E or stagehands, it has to be local one. But, uh, you know, you need your A29 designer. You need your IBW camera person. Yeah, I mean, it's basically working within unions to fill out your staff to the best of your ability and to your comfort level. And I, it took me a year at the show to do it, but I have a a crew now that I feel really happy with.
1: That's awesome. Um, I know it's a challenge to, to venture from the norm, even as a woman in this business. So last year I produced this senior project for my friend and she wanted, she was the director and she wanted an all-female crew because she felt like there weren't enough women given opportunities to do stuff sound and lighting on crews because people would sort of just pull their typical guys. And like, while there's nothing wrong with somebody who's so skilled at doing something and in high demand. There is, you know, unfortunately what happens is just the opposite for the, for the people that don't really get hired for those roles over and over. And they don't in turn get that experience. It was a lot more challenging to fill audio roles and G E roles and DP roles even because I think there was one girl in our entire film department at our school who was certified in the Alexa camera and our director wanted that camera and she had a previous like a class project the same weekend we were shooting so like can you imagine I mean so um it is it is really you know I think important if it's you know, if possible to get women or people of color, people of minority backgrounds, you know, behind the camera, because I think it makes for a more diverse crew.
0: No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And listen, I'm someone as a director who is constantly looking to his crew asking, Hey, is that, was that, was that funny to you? Uh, or was that too far? And, um, you know, I have an, a, a lovely associate producer uh, who works along with me named jessica who has been invaluable for that because you know the male perspective and the female perspective are different and there are times where i will say you know i i think this was funny well she'll go no there's issues with that and it's enlightening you hear that stuff and you have to take into account so i agree um diversification of crew helps you with that it kind of keeps you in check
1: yeah i think it helps you put out a better product but agreed all good things to think about Is this a good time to get into Variety and late-night TV?
0: Yeah, it's as good a time as there ever has been. Obviously, people are watching late-night right now to get their fix of the day's chaos. So, yeah, I I think from when I started, it's as good a time as ever to get into late-night. There are a lot of late-night shows, and generally with, again, the darkness of the world. I think there's some turnover too. So yeah, I would say yes. The answer is yes. It's a good time.
1: And then New York or LA, or does it matter?
0: Well, I have made a, a deal with myself that I will never, ever, ever move to LA. So if there is, if you need an, uh, some sort of example that says, hey, I don't have to move to LA to make it, um, I would like to offer myself as an example of that. I wouldn't say I've made it, but I would say that I've I've given myself a decent enough career in New York without having to move to LA. I, I hate LA uh, personally. I don't like the amount of sunshine that they get, and uh, <laughs> the weather is too nice. And I there's just so much traffic, and the people out there are just not New Yorkers. I like New Yorkers better. In terms of late night, it's pretty it's pretty well split. We have a, a good amount of late night here, obviously with Sambi and Colbert, Oliver, Jimmy, Seth. There's, there's a healthy amount of late night here. L.A. has more probably opportunity in general outside of late night. I mean, they have Conan, they have Corden, and they have Kimmel. And probably a bunch of other late night shows that I don't know about. I think that New York makes you scrappy uh I've always thought that I think that's a, a big reason why I like staying here is cuz I feel like if you could get it done in New York, you could get it done anywhere. I've worked in LA and I think even sometimes the LA people are like why is your pace so fast? It's because it's the only way we know how to do it. You know, we, I grew up in a lot of non-union settings, so it was a lot of we have to rush to get this done. It, it just, in my opinion, makes you a little bit more resourceful because New York inherently is not as easy to produce stuff in. We don't have the amount of sound stages and infrastructure that L.A. does. So that said, if you like sun and garbage people, <laughs> go to L.A. and you will have a great career and I, and I won't miss you.
1: Everyone's experience is different. And I think to be able to say, I have a great career in New York and I didn't have to go to LA like everyone and their mom, that's really cool. And I think people will relate to that a lot. They are an East Coaster at heart and they, they operate at an East Coast speed. That's, you know, it's it's important to take into account.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's my thing, right, is that I, my entire family is from the East Coast, so I didn't want to leave them. And so I, I just made I made a deal with myself that I would stay out here, and it's worked out.
1: How can people get their feet wet in field producing or comedy?
0: You guys are doing the right thing. I mean, you doing a senior project where you're making stuff with Alexa's, that's, that's an incredible head start on what you want to do in this industry. It took me until Saturday Night Live to get comfortable with alexis you're getting comfortable with alexis in college i mean that alone is a pretty scary heads up the biggest advice for me on uh, to give to you on that is to just keep creating stuff keep giving yourself a puzzle that you have to solve um, because that is field production it's getting a puzzle and having to solve it in the most economical and efficient way possible that is the definition, in my opinion, of a good field producer. So, you create stuff on that your meets own. That needs the quality. Sure, but you're not going to get that right away, right? Like, you're gonna you're gonna need someone to smack you around a little bit because everyone has it. I mean, I got smacked around really handedly at MTV in terms of finding out what quality or standards they wanted that I would have to ascribe to. Um, my first show I ever worked for was Nikki and Sarah Live. That was a crash course for me in terms of what is good TV quality field pieces. Um, and I was working predominantly with green screens. Every place I've I've worked, I mean, even Colbert, I, Colbert gave me such a lesson in, in narrative field piece that I'm still learning. I mean, and that's the other thing is that you're always going to be learning because this is never it. Like I've said, there's no formula to comedy, so you're constantly learning these new tricks that these really smart people. We've done it for years. Are kind of telling you it's this their secrets to the trade. So at Colbert, I've learned kind of how having a piece with a beginning, middle, and end really means a lot. Because all the places I've gone, it was all very joke based. I mean, Triumph was all about getting the best joke, and his pieces were just hilariously funny. But you know, there was no narrative arc to them. Not really. It was just all about doing a bit. Colbert sat me down and was like I want you to think about what the motivation is, why we're here, and what we're trying to say. And that was that was a big deal. You're gonna you're gonna need to take a lot of jobs that are just at the MTV vice type level that is gonna teach you how to do stuff on the cheap and and gritty, but do it well. Because that's gonna go a long way for you in terms of learning how to field produce. So that is my most valuable lesson in MTV is how to get stuff done very cheap, very fast, and still have it be TV quality. And I know Vice is, is big on this right now too. And then you graduate to these bigger places and then you keep the lessons from MTV and you take them with you. Um, and you could look at my career as kind of an upward trajectory of that. It was MTV, it was Fox Sports 1, then it was MTV 2. And then I got a big break before many people even would think of getting one SNL plucked me at a pretty young and you know admittedly green age and then I kind of built my way up from there but it's those Viacom Vice type shows that that's where you learn that's where you make your bones and they know that they know that they're going to get youth and they're going to get paid as a youth and uh the experience is really the big lesson and the big valuable asset that you take from there. And it's, it's fun. It's the first five years are the most fun because there's less of a jaded attitude toward it. And, um, you're just learning, you're being molded as a human being. I mean, that's really cool.
1: And that brings me to my last question. Could you describe for us the late show apprentice program?
0: Now, this Late Show Apprentice program is is a pretty awesome thing. I know the two apprentices that work there now. They're wonderful, wonderful women. And uh, it seems like they get a lot out of it. You pretty much get a run of the whole show. And you get in bedtime with the cold open team. Um, and the cold open team has to do uh, basically the pre-tapes that start off the show every night. So, I mean, no one grinds more than those guys. You get embedded with the talent team, so you get an idea of how we take care of and book our celebrities. You get embedded with the field team, and, you know, it's my world, and, and, you know, they just get kind of embedded with other departments, and you get a full scope of what the late-night experience is, and I think through that Apprentice program, you kind of hopefully figure out what it is that, you know, you're best suited for.
1: Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure having you on.
0: Yeah, Thank you so much.
1: That was Jake Plunkett, producer and segment director at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. You can take his career advice into consideration when navigating your own career, whether it be while you're still in college or if you're already in the working world. Today, he talked with us about turning his MTV internship into a full-time offer during the recession, diversification in voices among late night hosts and crews, and touched on how American politics has shifted late-night comedy in the last several years. Jake really took us through his career and how he learned new skills and found his way with each different show he worked on. You, too, can laugh along with segments of content directed and produced by Jake and his team. Tune in to The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on weeknights during primetime on CBS, or catch clips on YouTube and the CBS All Access app. Thanks for listening to Entertain Your Future with Laurel Yarrows. If you like what you just heard, check out laurelyarrows.com forward slash entertain your future for show notes containing links to everything that was mentioned in this episode. You can also subscribe to this podcast and share the show with some friends or peers who you think might find value in the content. Join us in the next episode.